our worship team uh, for leading us in worship. We appreciate all that you guys do and your sharing of talents and skills that you've, the Lord's given you. Uh, let's um, open our Bibles as we will continue our study uh, of the end times. And today, Jeff Smith has kindly come down from Auckland to share the word uh, with us uh, this afternoon. And so before you come up, Jeff, I'd just like to, to pray for you. And um, thank you for coming down and being willing to share uh, the word that the Lord's laid on your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have this privilege to come here now and open your word. Lord, what joy that is to us. And Lord, we thank you for the message that you have laid on uh, Jeff's heart. We thank you for uh, his willingness to share and his um, obedience to come and to bring that to us. We, Lord, we pray that you will... Um, Continue to give him the words to share, but Lord, we also pray that our hearts will be open to receive and to listen and to take heed of the word of God. So we just um, commit this time to you now and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's an absolute delight to be with you this afternoon. Uh, when Andrew Linton first contacted me and asked if I would be happy to be part of a series on end times, I, I didn't even have to pray about it. And if I did, it was the shortest prayer meeting I ever had. It's so lovely to be in a group of believers who are... Uh, interested in what the Bible has to say about the end times. When I was a boy, you know, back when the crust of the earth was still warm, uh, we used to sing a lot. Uh, it was a bit more limited than it is today. Uh, if it wasn't in the red book, it never got sung at night. And if it wasn't in the green book, it never got sung in the morning. But between the green book and the red book, uh, there was a lot to sing about. And a lot of it was about the future. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, I can see it afar where the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. See, I know if you're under 60, you won't remember these songs, but that's okay. Back then, we were going someplace. We were marching to Zion. You know, uh, uh, we, we get caught up thinking about the impact of the past. It was Sigmund Freud who said to us that what you are today is the result of what happened to you when you were young. You were made to eat broccoli and carrots and now you're psychologically disturbed. <laughs> and that's the reason why you've got... Uh, kleptomania and, and charges for shoplifting. It's, it's not to do with you now, it's to do with what happened before. 
and everyone bought that line. Sigmund Freud, as you know, was an Austrian psychiatrist. And everyone bought that line because, uh, well, it explained at least a little bit, they hoped, of why things were the way they were. Until they got in the middle of World War II. World War I was done and dusted, and then along came World War II. And another psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl, who wrote a very important book about the meaning of life. He said, if we are the product of our past, and this tomorrow will be our past, God help us. And Viktor Frankl did a study in the concentration camps of the Third Reich where he was incarcerated. And he found out that the people who survived and the people who gave up and succumbed were distinguished by their hope. One lot didn't have any, and so they gave up. But the men who were thinking of their sweethearts and their children, the men who were thinking of when the war is done, they would run on home into the arms of their wives. Those were the men who dug in deep and had courage. And they're the men who lasted and eventually went home. You see, the truth is, it's not the past that really matters. It's the future. And that's why the Lord Jesus continually directed our attention to the future. That's why the Bible has so much to say about the future. It's not that you're a victim of the past. No, sir. Your face is toward the future of which the Bible speaks. And that's where you get your courage. And that's where you find your peace. And that's what makes you different from everyone else. Because now you have motivation. And you are waiting for that wonderful day when you see the Savior face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so it's lovely for me to come here and be part of this series on the future. Vitally important. The future controls the present. Never forget it. So I'm rather glad. And the future for us as believers is filled with hope. True? Oh, that's good, man. You can say amen a little louder as the time progresses. 
I thought you might have had indigestion and were just clearing your throat after lunch, you know. But the Bible is uh, filled with hope. Everyone's looking for hope. You know, they look at Putin and they look at what's happening in the Ukraine. They look what's happening in China. They look at the problem over Taiwan. They look at the problems in Africa. They look at the problems in Europe. And everyone is on the edge of their seat saying, what in the world is going to happen? Well, the Bible tells us what's going to happen. And, uh, and, and it takes us right to the end in the book of Revelation, and not just there, right throughout the scripture. But it gives us a, a, a vista of the future. And the Bible tells us that when all is done and dusted, and when the dust of the wars have settled, we have a bright tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have a bright tomorrow. When you look into the book of Revelation, oh, I better turn this on or we'll have no tomorrow. <laughs> when you look into the book of Revelation, the bright tomorrow essentially focuses on two things. The first is a thousand-year kingdom on this earth. Now, we believe, I take it, if we're reading this book correctly, that we're expecting the Lord Jesus to come again. Amen? Amen. We call it the second coming. Now, that's important. Because if there's a second coming, must have been a first coming. That's simple enough, isn't it? Sunday afternoon, it's warm. We don't want to work too hard. So if there's a second coming, there must have been a first coming. And the first coming is when the Lord Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And he came to earth and he was here on this planet for 33 years. That's the first coming. Now, if there's a second coming, it's got to be more of the same. The first coming was from heaven to earth. The second coming is from heaven to earth. Only this time, if we're reading Revelation 20 correctly, he will be here for a thousand years. And he will establish a reign of righteousness and peace. And who in the name of seven bald cats doesn't want that? I do. I'm over this world. Every morning I wake up, reach out for the cell phone, look at the BBC news and think, what else can go wrong? Really and truly. And so we anticipate the second coming of Christ to earth to establish his kingdom. A bright tomorrow. You imagine that kingdom. You know, uh, by the time the first generation are born in that kingdom, they won't have a clue about the world that you and I lived in. No, we live in a world where there is ram raids, where there's brutality, where there's corruption, where there's drugs, where there's rape, where there's incest, where there's elder abuse. 
We live in a sick and sad world. But the first generation in that thousand-year kingdom won't have a clue about the world we lived in. They'll be living in a world the like of which this planet has not seen since the days of the Garden of Eden. And if we talk to them about sin, they won't know what it's about. You know, there'll be no cell phones and there will be no pornography. I was driving through Karanga Happy Road the other night and I saw a shop called Peaches and Cream. I thought it was for desserts. But it turns out it's for adult stuff. As brazen as you like, right there, you know. Here's a, here's a dairy and here's a sex shop. They won't have any of that stuff. There'll be no pornography. There'll be no magazines like that. There'll be no channels that you can get privately and, and, and feed on that stuff. It'll all be gone. People won't be tempted the way you and I are tempted. Here, sin is in your face. There, no sir. He'll be reigning with a rod of iron in a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Wow, isn't that fantastic? But there's more. When that kingdom's finished, there's an eternal kingdom coming wherein righteousness lives at home. Don't you like that? Righteousness will be at home in a kingdom uh, that will last forever and ever and ever. So the thousand-year kingdom, if you like, is a vestibule into the eternal kingdom that's coming. It's a little taste of what's around the corner. Now, that's an important kingdom because in that kingdom, all the covenants that God had made with the nation of Israel will be fulfilled. In that kingdom, Jesus will reign supreme and he will succeed where Adam and Eve failed. And the second Adam will rule and reign in glory. It's going to be fantastic. So that thousand-year kingdom is just a wee taste. You know, when I was a kid, uh, Sundays were important. You won't believe it, but only the dairy and, and the bowser, remember we called it the bowser, that's a gas station. Only the dairy and the bowser were open on a Sunday. Everything else shut on Friday night. Now, it was peaceful, but it was as boring as all get out, I've got to tell you. There was nothing happening anywhere in these motu. And uh, that's the way it was. Well, after church, you would go home. If you ran out of milk, you stopped at the dairy on the way home and you made sure there was no Christian looking at you. <laughs> and you sneaked in under the covers and you got a bottle of milk and you didn't dare buy the Herald or any other worldly extra, and you hightailed it back into the car, and home you went. And there at home was a roast of lamb. Remember those days when lamb was cheaper than chicken? Back then, chickens were expensive. You only had them when important people came to dinner. And as a kid, I can remember the days when we had chicken. I didn't look up and say, these people don't look that important. I've got to tell you that. 
The rest of the time you had lamb. The reverse of today. And you'd open the door as you went home from church and you could smell the mint, you could smell the rosemary. Hmm? And there was a pot of gravy that mum had made before we went to church. And it was simmering on the stove and then dad would take the lamb of roast and he'd put it on the carving board and he'd start into it. And he'd get down to those crispy bits on the shank end. You know what I'm talking about? And then he would cut a little bit off. Now up until then, it's anticipation. (sighs) Smells so good. But when he cut the little bit off and put it on the carving fork and gave it to you, well, that was a foretaste. There's a difference between anticipation and a foretaste. The foretaste is when you've got the lamb between your teeth and you're thinking, there's more to come. Now, that's a millennial kingdom. Right now, We read the word and we anticipate. But when the kingdom comes and the Lord Jesus returns, he's carving off a little bit of paradise and he's saying, taste this. You ain't seen nothing yet. Around the corner there is an eternal world where all the wrongs will be righted and righteousness will reign forever. Wow, we've got a bright tomorrow. But uh, while the Bible is optimistic, it's uh, also realistic. Before the second coming of Christ, uh, there's big trouble. We're longing for the bright tomorrow, but before that, the Bible says there's gonna be a time of big trouble. And so Revelation 20 and 21 and 22 take you into the millennial kingdom and beyond into that wonderful city, the Jerusalem that is above. And it describes all the glory of that heavenly city. Before that, you've gotta go through chapters six through 18. Oh, that's big trouble. You start reading this and you think, holy smoke. I've I've never read anything like this before. Look at what God is going to do to the world. Uh, We call this uh, the tribulation period. Things will get much worse before they get better but things will eventually get much better after they got worse. This uh, seven-year period, according to the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, involves uh, these judgments, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. And uh, these uh, judgments are poured out on the whole world. No one will escape. 
the reason that God is going to pour these judgments out on the whole world is because the world has earned it. This is the wages of sin paying a premium price. The nations of this world that were meant to govern the, the, the nations of the world, the governments that were meant to govern them have abandoned God a long time ago. It's all gone out the window. Uh, back when I was a boy, you knew you were born a boy because they dressed you in blue and you knew you were a girl because they dressed you in pink. And if they had any doubt, it was kind of a murky orange. And, uh, and they weren't sure. And now we're in a weird world. Everything nailed down is coming loose. Everything that used to be rock solid has been smashed to pieces. It's not that we've stopped thinking, it's that they've taken away the stuff we used to think with. That's what's happened. And now we're in a sad world and eventually God is going to say, gentlemen, it's closing time. You've had your day. Now this is my day. And the book of Revelation doesn't beat around the bush. It spends all of those chapters from chapter 6 through to chapter 18 describing the most incredible suffering and judgment that is going to come upon this world. And the dominant personality in the middle of it all is a man the Bible calls the Antichrist. I looked for a picture this morning to uh, put up Antichrist and <laughs> it blew me away. They were all of these demonic kind of looking things that were weird and they had long fingernails and long teeth and sunken eyes and just to look at them reminded you of your baby pictures. Well, that's a trick of the devil. I mean, anyone who saw that would say, you're antichrist, I know your mother. <laughs> but antichrist, as the Bible describes him, isn't that kind of figure. You know, that's what the world does. It takes the devil, makes him into a cartoon character with uh, a forked tail and with horns and a pitchfork, as if anyone believed in that stuff. And they do the same with Antichrist. Now, Antichrist, I think, is going to look like the most amazing person we've ever seen. I, I think he's probably going to be tall and handsome, but that's where our similarities finish. <laughs> and... Uh, I think we would be better to call him Mr. Suave. Oh, this guy's going to have uh, golden lips. This guy's going to have eyes that can see through any situation. And uh, we read about him in uh, the Bible. In three major sections. In Daniel... He's described in chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 11, and chapter 9 
as the little horn. Now that makes you want to know more, doesn't it? Why is he called the little horn? And then when you get to the book of the Revelation in chapter 13 and in chapter 17, he's called the beast. And then when you get into the third major chapter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the man of sin. And there's a reason for that. It's because he's promoting sin. It's because he's full of sin and because he's the instrument of Satan in a way that no other human being has been. He is the man of sin. Now, I wish that we had hours together so we could go through this because the subject material is so extensive. We don't have it. But if you have a Bible, we'll take a reading in Daniel chapter seven. If you bought half a Bible, you got the wrong half. I can guarantee you. So uh, you need an Old Testament to balance the New Testament as we look at the person of Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7. This is a long reading. But it's far more important for you and I to hear the word of God than to hear me. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And it was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had many eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him and thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. This is God the Father. And the court was seated and the books were opened. That will connect you through to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. That's a little horn. Now what's happening here is that Daniel has seen the kingdoms of this world as they have the empires that rule the world one after the other. And uh, this final one, after the kingdoms of Babylon, after the kingdom of Greece, after the kingdom of Medo-Persia, is the kingdom of Rome, this terrifying kingdom, the fourth beast. It says in verse 7, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. And it had 10 horns. And, and these 10 horns, it turns out, are 10 kings. So there is an empire that's going to exist, uh, future from the vision of Daniel, that is going to be terrifyingly strong than any of the other kingdoms the world has seen, and, and it's going to have 10 horns on the top of its head, and eventually there's going to be a little horn that's going to come up, displace three of the ten uh, horns, and then that little horn is going to rule. That's what verse 11 is about. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. That's the little horn. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. This is the empires of Babylon, of Greece, of Medo-Persia, and then of Rome. And in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is the Lord Jesus. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Hallelujah. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So... One day, Messiah is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom and there will be no other kingdoms. That kingdom will last forever and ever and you and I will be part of it. 
Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. What an apt description of the Roman Empire. Verse 20, I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the saints of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Then the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. This has never happened yet in the ancient Roman Empire. Because the word of God must be fulfilled, this is yet to happen. Otherwise, scripture isn't true. Then the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. This is the man we call Antichrist. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years or 1260 days. But the court will sit and his power, isn't this lovely, his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. Don't you love it? So here is the rise of the Roman Empire and then suddenly we see another phase of the Roman Empire where there are 10 kings in a 10 kingdom confederacy and then out of them comes this little horn. 10 horns, but up comes a little horn, displaces three of the original horns, three of the original kings and then he is the guy who takes over and rules for three and a half years and he imposes his strength on the whole world. Now as we go through scripture we find that this is called Antichrist. The interesting thing is Antichrist is only found five times in the Bible, all of them in the letters of 1 John and 2 John. And so when it comes to Antichrist, these are the defining verses. Uh, he talks about Antichrist with a small a. There are many Antichrists that have gone out into the world. These are the people who oppose Christ. Anyone who opposes Christ, the Bible would call an Antichrist. But then uh, John talks about in 1 John 2.18, the Antichrist, and this is Antichrist with a capital A. 
And he is anticipating here a real person. Not just a movement, but a real individual called the, capital A, Antichrist who is coming. And John writes to his uh, readers and says, you know that Antichrist is on his way. Many small Antichrists have gone out into the world, but the big gun is just around the corner. And what do we mean when we call him Antichrist? We mean, first of all, that he is against Christ, but we mean more than that. We mean that he is going to come into the world as if he were Christ. In other words, he's going to establish a kingdom. He's going to rule. He's going to act as if he were the Messiah. He's going to claim to be Messiah. As you go through Daniel 8, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, as you go into Revelation 13, Revelation 17, much more stuff than we can deal with this evening, you will find that he works lying wonders and lying miracles in order to credentialize himself as the legitimate ruler of the world. Now, you can see this all setting up. Here we are in... uh, a kind of a paralysis. We're saying, what in the world is going to happen next? Isn't it fun to be alive and, and watch all this when you know the end of the story? It's, you know, uh, my friends don't like going to the movies with me because I never get it. I, I'm the dumb boy who annoys everyone and says, well, what did he say that for? Why, why is he doing this? I, I never, ever get it. But when I get to the end of the story and I see what happened, then I can go back and watch the movie again because I understand what's going on. Well, that's the position that we're in. We've seen the end of the story. There's going to be a kingdom that comes that will never pass away. And it doesn't belong to Antichrist. It belongs to the Christ, Jesus himself. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And that kingdom will last forever and ever. Its initial form is a foretaste. But just around the corner is eternity. And he will reign forever and ever. And we as the saints of the Most High will reign with him. So put a smile on your dial. Come on. I want, I want to see some enjoyment at this point. Uh, this is our future. It's wonderful. Don't worry about dying, you're going to come back. Abraham will be in this kingdom, David will be in this kingdom, Moses will be in this kingdom, Elijah will be in this kingdom, you and I will be part of this kingdom. It's a fantastic story. This guy is going to be against Christ and think he is Christ. So there are the three central passages. First point I want to leave with you. Let's go fast. He's a real person. When the Bible speaks about him, it says he will subdue, he will speak, he will subdue, he will speak, he will confirm. The man of lawlessness, the man doomed to destruction, he will exalt himself. So what the Bible is predicting is that there is a human being tucked away somewhere. He may be alive today, no one knows. We've got his profile from scripture, but we can't identify him. 
And that was the same with the Lord Jesus. We got his profile from the Old Testament, but the Old Testament didn't say, and his name will be called Jesus of Nazareth. No, no, you have to wait for Matthew chapter one for that one. No, we, we had the profile. Well, it's the same as Antichrist. We've got the profile and he's a real person. He's probably a Gentile. He arises out of the sea, Revelation 13, one of the nations. He comes from the city of seven hills. That's the ancient name for Rome. The ruler is from the people who will destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. That was Rome. He makes a covenant with Israel that ensures Gentile protection. Would you have believed it? Netanyahu is back. Liz Trust knows that a week in politics is not long. Anything can happen. Who would have thought after they all climbed all over Netanyahu and said he was corrupt and everything else, who would have thought that the Israeli people would have voted him back in? Well, so now we're back again, you see. We've gone from the liberal on this side to a right-winger on this side who is going to push Jewish nationalism, who believes in resettling the occupied territories, who doesn't believe in a two-nation state, who's going to get right up the nose of most of the world's leaders. And this is going to force a confrontation. Well... Eventually, Antichrist is going to come along and say, I can solve the problem. And he sits down and he makes a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. Lasts for three and a half years and then he ditches them and becomes their arch persecutor. It's an amazing story, the story of scripture. He's the last ruler in the times of the Gentiles and he shows no regard for the gods of his fathers. He is a thoroughly secular, irreligious individual. But then that's the way the world is. He's energized by Satan. If you thought Satan had a grip on Judas, try this guy. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. Hey, it's time to sort out what you think about signs and wonders. Because the church is so gullible today, they'll buy this guy hook, line, and sinker. Because they don't know what a real miracle is. They think that Satan can do what God can do. And, uh, and this guy will serve up some pretty spectacular stuff. He gets his authority from Satan. He's energized by Satan. And then eventually sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2. And he will become very strong, Daniel says, but not by his own power. He will rule the whole world, Revelation 13, 7. His headquarters will be in Europe, Revelation 17, 8 to 9. He's going to be intelligent, persuasive. This is no Dumbo. Daniel 7.20, he'll rule by international consent. He will work by deceit. He will control the world economy. And if you do not have the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy or sell. 
I'm expecting that in the tribulation period, though I will not be here. You know, I'm pre-trib. I'm pre-mill, I'm pre-trib, and I'm prepared. And I like it that way. But he'll control the world economy. For those who are left behind, if you don't have the mark of the beast, I'm, I'm expecting you will starve to death. I'm expecting one of the huge problems of the tribulation period will be starvation of all of the people who refuse the mark of the beast because you will not be able to buy or sell. You won't have a job, you won't have income, you won't have food. And he will make and break a peace treaty with Israel. You can expect this. This is just round the corner. This is Antichrist. But his kingdom will not last long. Seven years. And then the heavens will part. And the rider of the white horse will return. And Christ shall descend with all of the holy angels and with the saints who have gone before. And then his kingdom comes. Listen. There's a real guy called Antichrist. He's just around the corner. He's going to inflict terrible suffering in the world and particularly on the Jewish people. But we are Christians. So we've given enough time and attention to him. The way some prophecy buffs go, you'd think they're waiting for Antichrist. We're not. We're waiting for Christ. He's already drawn us to him through the work of his spirit. And we're just waiting for that wonderful moment when the trumpet will sound and there'll be the call of the archangel and we'll be gone out of here to inherit a kingdom that we will share in forever and ever and ever. Now listen to me. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. We are people of the coming king. And our hearts are homesick for the Savior. We thank you, our Father, for this book that draws aside the curtain for the future. We are terrified of what we read in the book of Revelation. And yet we know that you have washed the world out before. And you will do it again. We thank you, our Father, for the hope we have of the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are left and remain shall be caught up, and we shall be together forever. Now for the people around us, give us a passion for them. Uh, Give us a hunger to reach them, and to explain to them what's going to happen to this world until Jesus returns with his kingdom. We bring you our afternoon worship 
in the lovely name of our Savior and for filling our hearts with hope. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.